Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Push him down. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davies. You're better than that. On Talk Sport. Hello, welcome to the Fight Night podcast. I'm Gareth A. Davis. This week, our special guest is David Darren Hay, the former unified cruiserweight world champion who went on, of course, to become a heavyweight world champion as well. This is part one of our two-part series on him. Hope you enjoy. Mr. David Hay, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I feel better now after hearing all of that. That really got me. <laughs> good times going there. That was amazing. Some amazing memories there. Listen, yeah, this is what it's all about. All tonight. Yeah. Absolutely. Saturday night celebration. That's what we're going to be doing, my man. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk. A lot of our fans, obviously, that are listening to this right now, know full well about the professional accolades that you, that you picked up, and we'll get to those, no doubt. But I want to go back to uh, the amateur days and when you first started this, because as you're experiencing yourself yeah. now as a father, uh, your boy's well into his tennis. Um, children like to try all different sports. 
So talk to me about David Hay at 10 years of age walking into a boxing gym. What inspired him to do that? Um, what inspired me was wanting to be the heavyweight champion of the world. That was it. And I wasn't allowed to go to a boxing gym until I was 10. Um, my father said, you know, if you, since I was probably a toddler, I've been punching everybody and everything I could. And he said, and he said to me, if you, you know, I said, I want to go to a boxing gym. He said, if you still want to do it when you're 10, you can. So I remember watching, I used to watch the fights with my uncles and parents. And, you know, we had videos, VHS cassette tapes of all the old great fighters. I remember watching those old grainy, grainy fights and wanting to be that guy on television on the box. So I wanted to be the guy that all the, all, all the grown-ups used to cheer for. And, and that's all I ever wanted. Then I watched Rocky, Rocky Four. I think was the first Rocky that I saw. I was only probably about seven or eight years old. And I going over the way that Ray Rocky went over to beat Ivan Drago. Now, I'm a kid. I knew it wasn't real, but it was still yeah. real. It was still, a, yeah. it was still real to me as a youngster watching it. And he goes over there and he turns the crowd and he becomes a champion. That, for me, was like, yeah, that's it. And I said, that's one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight Ivan Drago and be the heavyweight champion. And lo and behold, I have having to fight the biggest Russian in the, the biggest Russian <laughs> or the biggest heavyweight champion in the history of boxing, and he was a Russian. It was on foreign soil, and it was a. I remember walking to the ring, thinking, "This is, this is it." And it goes all the way back to the start. It's really weird. I knew I was going to fight Ivan Drago for the heavyweight title from the moment I saw Rocky Paul. We're going to we're going to come to that in detail because uh, having been there on that night, that momentous night in uh, in in Germany. Nuremberg. In Nuremberg, yes. Um, walking around the Zeppelin fields, I did before writing my report that night. It's a it's a weird place, Nuremberg. But David, um, years and years ago, and obviously, as you know, I've known you since you were sixteen, seventeen, many, many yeah. years ago, when you were a very tall beanpole, think probably light heavyweight at that time yeah. with the English yeah, squad. Yeah, you and I, yeah, yeah, you, you, um, you and I sat down one day, and this has fascinated me always with you. And, and, and maybe I'll bring it into focus with what's going on in the world at the moment as well. You told me a story once about, and, and you were probably, you know, a real handful at this age, that when you were very young and in school, um, you would literally happily call out the roughest, toughest kids from other schools, and you would meet them at 4.30pm <laughs> outside the school gates around Bermondsey and take on literally their toughest kid, their champion. And, and you told me later on, it was almost like that feeling you had when you walked to the ring. And it was almost like a, you'd almost been preparing in a certain way for it. How did that come about when you were younger? And was it ever down to people being racist, for example? No, not what. So there's no racism involved in it. It was, it was just trying to prove you the best. First off, I was the fastest sprinter in my school when I was very, very young. My primary school, for instance, when I was really young, and then all of a sudden I was the best fighter. I, I had a fight with all the toughest kids, and I won. I won all the fights, and now there was no one else to fight. So then you start looking <laughs> further afield. You say, okay, no yeah, one else to yeah. fight at school. Who's the hardest school in? Who's the hardest kid in the school down the road? Okay, okay. And you, you obviously on your on your state, this certain kids go to different schools. And you you work it out, and then say, okay, I, I want to fight this kid, and the other kid can't back down. If you're a kid in school and you're supposed to be the hardest kid, then you hear there's a kid in the next school. You're gonna have to, and he's calling you out to fight on a Friday. And I'm like, yeah, let's go and watch a fight. And that was it. I used to get butterflies. I didn't know what the kid looked like, and all I knew he was the toughest kid in his school. 
So I'd get the butterflies in my stomach. I'd be like, oh, here we go. And that's it. And I'd be, obviously, I've been watching my Rocky and I'd, I'd go over there. I didn't have any boxing skill whatsoever. But I was just, I could just punch really, really hard. And fortunately, I was able to win all those, <laughs> win all those punch-ups. And uh, normally the kids were older than I was, but I used, to, I, used to, I used to love the feeling. I used to love the accolade I used to get afterwards. When everyone packing like, yeah, you're the man, you knocked him out, you know, some punch I used to love it. And I got addicted to the, I know, I got addicted to that feeling of, you know, being the man, you being the, the, the feared person in your area, in your school. And it was, uh, it was, uh, it's, it's just a, it's a feeling of sort of superiority over somebody else. It's pretty primitive, I think. I think, mm. you know, you've got different types of people in in life. You have, you know, people who fight and you've got people who run from a fight. Then you've got people like me who run to a fight. They're too, I mean, a lot of people fight if they have to. Like very mm. few people think, okay, on Friday, I'm going to fight someone. And I don't know who it is. And I could get whooped in front of all my friends, but I don't care because I, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to outman him, even though you're, 10 years old it's the weirdest thing I can't never imagine my son doing anything like that at all you know it's just not in his nature he's just not that way he's not that wide but I'm glad he isn't I'm not sure what type of environment you need you need to breed that type of thing I'm sure it's the same if you talk to any um, established uh, fighter who's who's gone the whole way you're a natural born fighter it's what you're here to do just like we talked to Linford Christie or Usain Bolt they were always sprinters they were just the fastest kids in the school and that was it I was just a good fighter. I was just good timing and reflexes. And when I seemed to hit people, they used to just go to sleep from when I was very, very young. And uh, fortunately, uh, we don't live in, in times like it is now because kids, unfortunately, aren't willing to... If someone gets called out on a, to fight on a Friday, nine times out of ten now, they get stabbed. And that's the difference between now and then. You know, I, I'm not sure if you can get away with doing the things that I used to do nowadays because, you know, kids, kids don't feel they have uh, a sense of uh, self uh, they can't protect themselves they, they, got, they got no they got no self defense no art no form of self defense they don't learn boxing in the schools they don't go to karate they don't do all of these different things that lots of kids did when I was a kid so now they're just they, they, they're trying to get credibility from carrying life and stabbing people young kids are talking 12 13 year old kids are stabbing people now it's crazy I imagine how worried you'd be David if your son was oh, going out doing that now oh, yeah it's just I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine it but I, I definitely think there's a, there's a connection between um, boxing in schools and the, the amount of boxing gyms that are closing all around the country because they're putting luxury flats up there the councils are not um, uh, funding these things and unfortunately kids now the, the time kids have trouble is between uh, finishing school and going to sleep. That's just, that's the danger mm-hmm. area. What do you do in that time? Before you have your dinner and go to sleep, when you finish school, what do you do? I used to go home, get dressed, go to the gym, walk half an hour to get to the gym, which is walk from London Bridge down to Lambeth. Took me about half an hour to walk it, which I trained for two, two and a half hours, and walk back, and that's it. That's like you know, three, three and a half hours sometimes. And that's it. I get, I'm knackered. I've been studying. I've sparred. I've trained. I want to have my dinner. I want to go to sleep. Other kids who didn't do that, a lot of them are dead, a lot of them are drug addicts, a lot of them have got real bad habits because they didn't have that form of discipline, they didn't know about respect. I couldn't go into my, I couldn't go into Fitzgerald's gym and start swearing at people, spitting on the floor. I couldn't disrespect anybody. They know it was a hierarchy. You're the, you're the boxer, you're the guy to learn, and you have the coach there telling you what yeah. to do, and you've got to do it. Right, everyone's got to do 20 press ups. Everyone does 20 press ups. You don't do 20 press ups, or if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're going you're to pay the price. You're going to be in there sparring. If you're not sparring correctly, you're not putting enough effort in, they'll leave you in there. You could, it, it seems like it's different times now. 
But I think some hard disciplines required in some of these soft kids. No, I think you're right. Boxing most certainly, and, and martial arts most certainly saves lives and gets yeah, people on the, on the right path. Boxing, Muay Thai, uh, yeah. amateur boxing, you know, we need combat sports because kids don't know how to fight. It sounds crazy. It's like kind of a backwards way of going about it. But if you don't know how to fight, you're going to pick a knife up. It's so simple. If you, if you know how to fight, you want to fight. If you have an altercation or something and you both have to fight, none of you are going to want to stab each other because the person who stabbed you just makes no sense. So I definitely think Without boxing, I don't know what. I don't, without boxing, without learning that form of discipline, I do not know what I'd be doing now. If it wasn't a medium for me to ex- expel all of this pent up energy and hyper, he said I was hyperactive as a kid. I wasn't. I was just a very fit, you know, kid who had a lot of energy because I'm a natural athlete. I'm a natural fighter. There's a load, so many kids now that are natural fighters uh, all over the country. There's loads like they call them. I call them ADHD, and they give them Ritalin, give yeah. them these drugs now to try and calm them. No, you can't do that. You know, you need, you need a, a medium Sport. for these kids to go out and expel all of this energy. Put them in a boxing gym, let them hit them a bag, do a bit of sparring, go, go do some running, do something other than just sitting them down and then pumping them for the drugs. Hmm. Great you, you, obviously, uh, you obviously had that, that drive and determination to get to the very, very top and obviously a boatload of talent to go with it. Before, before we talk about the professional career, and we'll, we'll, we'll obviously get to the, uh, the, the end of the, the amateur career because you had a stellar amateur career, how disappointing was it now looking back, or maybe not at all, was it missing out on the uh, the Olympics in 2000? It was, it was a really hard blow at the time. You know, I, I boxed uh, Courtney Fry, um, who was, I think, was European silver medal, Commonwealth gold medal, and I, I boxed him in the London ABAs, and yeah. I knocked him out in a couple of rounds. Um, I then got knocked out myself a couple of fights later, um, so they put us both in a, a, a multi-nations tournament in Liverpool, I think in super, I think it was 1998, I think it was. And uh, we both got to the finals. He pulled out of the finals. So I then got the gold, but they then sent him to the last qualifier. He qualified. He lost in his first fight in the big. And I was, re- I was really gutted because my plan yeah. was to win the 2000 Olympics, you know, the one that Aldi Harrison won. Um, yeah. And then, you know, turn professional. That didn't happen. I'm, th- I'm glad it didn't happen because if it would have happened, I wasn't ready. I, what I learned, from what I learned from that age, to, to being 22 when I did turn professional. It was a lot of tough fights, particularly at heavyweight. I moved up to 91 kilos, and I wasn't really a heavyweight. The only reason I moved to heavyweight, moved up to heavyweight, which was 91 kilos as an amateur, was because they, they, were, they, were, they were selecting a Courtney Fry over me. So I had, they said, if you want to fight for England, you have to move up 10 kilograms. So I did. I went up to 10 kilograms and, and, and boxed. I had some real good fights. I won you know, tournaments all over the world, and it's all culminating with the 2001 um, uh, Belfast World, Champ- World Championship uh, silver medal. You know, was the first ever Brit to ever get to the finals of the World Championship. And um, I was gutted. I really wanted to win the gold. I fought uh, Orlando Fontes Solis, uh, the Cuban Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. And um, the guy who beat Felix Savon a couple of times. So he was a handy yeah. customer. I, I nearly took him out in the first round, but he was a bit stronger and a bit bigger, a bit more experienced. And he came back to grind me down and stop me on my feet. But, you know, that was, that was some good lessons I learned then. I, I definitely matured. I, I had a few fights after that. I never lost a, uh, an amateur fight since that point. Um, I then turned professional into him in 2002. And yep. that's it. It was all about the pro game then. It was all about getting it real. But I was, I was gutted I didn't win it. But, you know, I did strangely beat the Olympic gold medalist as a professional as a, whilst I was the heavyweight champion of the world, Audley Harrison. He's actually yeah. a good friend of mine now. And um, it, 
you know, I, I've got over it, put it that way. You know, it hurt for a little while, but, you know, I realised that it wasn't my it wasn't my path to be an Olympic champion, so I ha- I'd have to settle for heavyweight champion in the world as a professional. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Two thousand and two, you turn over, David, uh, and turn professional. And for those that were maybe not boxing fans around that time, just want to remind everybody that the BBC and ITV were showing a lot of fights back then, rather than it being Sky and BT Sports. And your career kind of kicked off on the BBC, so a big audience on those big Saturday nights for people to obviously see your thing. And you started quite fast. I remember seeing, for example, the Lalenga Monk uh, fight back then. I mean, obviously you were down in that fight, but you got up and it was yeah. rock and sock and robots. Entertaining stuff on a Saturday evening in front of the largest audience, which kick-started the professional career. And a big learning curve that night. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The, uh, the fight against Lalenga Monk, a, a guy from the Congo came out with uh, the, sort of the, leopard, the leopard skin uh, shorts. He, he wasn't a noted puncher. I, uh, I did my research on him before, and apparently he, he wasn't a massive hitter. A little overconfident, went in there, wanting to look, look a bit, look a bit special. But I did, wasn't anticipating him to be as good as he was. He had a, he had a solid record, and he hit me with an overhand right that I didn't see coming, and boom, he, I, it was nearly all over. For, <laughs> I think it was my seventh pro fight, so it was nearly over from then, and I, uh, I, I really struggled to get back to my feet. Fortunately, I did just about. It was all I had to I'd rugby tackled him to the floor to, to get a little bit more and get a little bit more time to clear my head. But I was in a bad, bad way. But fortunately, sounds crazy, but I got knocked down a, a few years prior to that as an amateur. As I said to you, I, um, I was knocked out as an amateur um, after I beat Courtney Fry. I mentioned earlier on, 
And my yeah. problem then was I, I was so embarrassed by getting knocked down. It was the first time ever. I jumped to my feet straight away to show I wasn't hurt, but my head was spinning. So I jumped up and fell back down again like um, Trevor Burbick did against Mike Tyson. Yeah. Once you do that, the, ref, the referee in an amateur fight said, no, you're not carrying on. So when I got knocked down, I remember the first thing I thought was, don't get up too quick. So I, my instincts was, it was so ingrained from that time I got stopped in, in, in one round when I was 18. You know, here I am, 23, I think 23 years old. I get knocked down, and all I remember is stay down because last time you got up, you fell back down. And I was right as well because I, was, I, I barely got up at eight. I barely got to my feet, managed to scrape through and knocked him out. And that was, that was a nice little wake-up call to say, this program, no matter what someone's record is, just because he may have lost a couple of fights before, doesn't mean that you got the divine right to get a victory over him. And I'd say it was a good, I'd say, rock and sock and fight and managed to get him out of there. But it was a, it was a, it was a fun fight to watch. But you're always dangerous when you were hurt, David, as we saw later on in the career. But let me take you back. I mean, some people will know this, some of our listeners will know this, but two fights earlier, you made your US debut. Not many <laughs> fighters get to do fight five at the Playboy mentioned in Beverly Hills. Tell us about that one <laughs> against yeah, yeah, Vance Wynn. Exactly. Lennox, Lennox Lewis was doing some promoting at the time, and uh, he got me on a show in, on, in, in uh, Bel Air in the Playboy Mansion. So he said to me, how do you fancy fighting there? I was like, uh, I fancy that pretty, pretty good, to be honest. And um, yeah, turn up there. We had all the NFL players there. Yeah, Will Smith was there. There was a whole load of, you know, A-listers. And it was me and my my third or fourth fight or something. And um, the, it was, that's where the after part. The fight went 45 seconds. Vance win wasn't, wasn't that great. Took him out in, the, in a couple of shots. I made sure I didn't get too sweaty, so I could just put my shirt straight on and slide into the For after the after party. party, of course. It was a fun night. And I got paid for it. I couldn't believe it. I went over there. All, all, my whole team, Adam Boop was there. Chris Morton was there. You know, we had Johnny. We had a whole crew of people over there. It was a real nice, fun, fun trip. And I beat someone up and got paid. And we had a good party. And a good, we got a few good stories from that trip. I'll tell you that. No, I bet, mate. I bet. Um, what What was the big learn from uh, the Cole Thompson fight? It was boxing isn't easy. Boxing is as hard as it gets, and you need to be as uh, as mentally tough as you are physically, and vice versa. Just because your mind's tough, you think you you're willing to go to the depths. You need to do that every day in the gym. If you're not if you're not if you're not going into your uncomfort zone during training, when you do finally go into your uncomfort zone in a fight, you won't be prepared. So I then really changed my whole lifestyle, changed my outlook to boxing. I really, really started paying the price that I should have done whilst I was, you know, before I'd lost a fight. But it's hard to tell a fighter when you've 10 fights, 10 wins, 10 knockouts, everyone's saying you're going to be world champion, don't worry. It's hard to tell that kid to train harder, to push it, to sacrifice more, go to bed earlier, eat healthier. Because I'm like, well, I've done nothing wrong. I've got 100% record. Then you get your ass whooped and it's like, in actual fact, you wasn't tough enough, son. And I wasn't. I was weak mentally, physically. I think my body was soft. I hadn't paid the price. And after that fight, I remember getting on the way to the hospital in the ambulance. I remember thinking, if somehow I managed to get for a get for a brain scan here, then I I'm going to change the way I, I I live my life. I'm going to change every part of this, every part of me. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be the fighter who's always in the best shape because I wasn't before. Yeah. I knew I wasn't. I, I I I thought I was, but deep down I knew. I couldn't fight at a hundred percent pace every round. I couldn't do it. Um, but after that, I, I was able to, you know, go pedal to the metal, uh, knowing that I had twelve rounds of good action in me, 
And uh, even even later on, even when I was past my prime, even when I was in my my my, my fight against Tony Bellew when I was, I was thirty seven or thirty eight, my Achilles tendon stab, and I was still I was still fighting. I still had the engine. It wasn't nothing yeah. to do with fitness. Fitness was fine. I had one leg, but I, could, I was still able to fight at a pace, and that's the difference. You know, I I wasn't able to do that in my first ten fights that I could have fought, but I didn't have twelve rounds of dirt dog fighting trench trench warfare. I didn't have it, and it takes sometimes to a good good ass whooping to to bring the best out in you. Well, let's move on from arse whoopings, shall we? And talk about becoming unified cruiserweight champion. Addition <laughs> out, out a few arse whoopings. But, but, but let's let's talk about that then. Let's talk about that. But if I can just interrupt, one of the, what, what David did do after that, because I followed him at some of these, he went to about, it wasn't like it is today. I think David fought at about five or six leisure centres then. Yeah, if you remember yeah. this, David, against, you know, Gary Delaney... Valerie Semisko, Glenn Kelly, Vincenzo Rosito, and then yeah, you won yeah. against Alexander Durov. They were all in little venues, yeah. but you were yeah, well, really developing that Brack, killer instinct. Brack, yeah, Bracknell Leisure Centre, that Gura fight you mentioned. Bracknell Leisure Centre. Yeah, Bracknell exactly, Leisure yeah. Centre. It wasn't about making money then. It, wasn't, it was all about just learning, because I knew the money would come when I'm world champion. Yeah. Up until that point, it was about being battle-hard and being tough, being seasoned, fighting tough guys with good records, you know, fighting the... The Jacob Fragameni, the guy who got undefeated in 20 fights. Yeah. Lasso Hanson, unbeaten in 14 fights. Fighting yeah. undefeated champions from their countries and putting in 12-round European title fights. And that's what I did. I put myself in a, in a tough situation where I fought the very best and worked my way up to number one contender for the WBC. But then I got my opportunity to fight John Mormek for not much money in the Valois on the outskirts of Paris on a Don King promoted event. Everything's against me. The crowd, the referee, the judges, everything was against me. But I knew it was my time. I knew this is what all these hard training camps were. So the, the 10, fights, 10 fights on, I'm now fighting for the WBC, WBA and Ring Magazine Championship. He had the IBF title before that, but he stripped him because he didn't fight a manager challenger. So I'm fighting the number one on the planet. You know, with, with, you know, I was a big underdog there. And I went over and knocked, got knocked down and thought I was tough enough now to get back up and go back and knock him out in, seven, in round seven rounds. So... All of those, without the beatings I took in my career, I wouldn't have been in the mental, physical place I was to beat the main man. As long as you're right for the big world title fights, that's why I've got no problem with young fighters when they lose a fight here or there. Because I know myself, I would never have got the, I would never scaled the heights I have if I wouldn't have lost those early fights. Everybody is obsessed with an unbeaten record. It looks good on paper, yeah, but if you, it sometimes takes a loss to get you that bit further. How do you know which doors to walk through? If you haven't walked through some wrong doors, how do you know the right yeah. doors go through the wrong door? Sometimes you, no one can get, you get exceptions like Joe Calzaghi, like Floyd Mayweather. You get those exceptions, those one in a million fighters who somehow fight the right guys at the right time with them being in their peak. You know, they get all of the, the, the stars and moon aligned sometimes for a very few fighters. But for the, for the, for the 99.9 rest of us, you're going to have to take, take a whipping from time to time. But, it's all about who's. It's all about who can keep going and getting up and perseverance, you know, determined determination, and making it making it happen. And fortunately, I, I was I was a fighter who you know took took a hard loss, but learned from it and came back. I think you can tell the strength of a fighter by how they come back. When Ali got beat by Frazier uh, the first time round, it was a heavy loss. He come back. Lennox Lewis got chinned by a couple of fighters. Hasim Rukman, Oliver McCall. How does he? Was he? He comes straight back and shows the world what he's really about. And, um, you know, you get certain fighters who lose a fight and they're never the same again. And that, that mm -hmm. always, when I've, you know, great fighters like 
one of my favourite fighters of all time, Nazim Hamid. I was gutted he retired. I was gutted he was 28 years old. He had one loss on points against one of the greatest Mexican fighters ever, Mark Antonio Barrera. And that was it. I was like, he had, he, he had another 10, 15 fights, great fights left. Look at Manny Pacquiao. He's from the same era. He's still fighting today. He's looking at fighting uh, Triple G. You know, yeah. you know, Nassim Hamid could still be fighting today. It's, it's crazy to think that, you know, you get some, some amazing fighters and they, you never quite know how far they could have gone. You know, I think, I personally, I know, I was a massive, massive, still am a massive Nassim Hamid fan. I believe he could have went through the weights. He could have went up to welterweight and can continue to win world titles. He had such an unorthodox style. And, you know, I, I just, I'm just glad I took my body as far as it could go. I know there's no, there's no stone left unturned in my career. I know I couldn't have tried any harder. I couldn't have had any more fights to, to win any more titles because I pushed it till it literally broke down on me in the ring in front of everybody. <laughs> in front of everybody. So, so I, I can't look back. But I really wish I carried on. No, I'm, I, I, I took it as far as I can go. At, at that point of beating Mormek and becoming a uh, unified champion, I personally, as a fan, anticipated you to go to heavyweight then. But you fought Enzo mm. Macronelli then, didn't you? What was the thought yeah, process got... behind that? I'm a, I'm a British fighter. I'm from England. I, I, I was the WBA, WBO, um, and Ring Magazine champion. You had the... the sorry, I done the... Uh, he had the, the WBO champion, Enzo Macronelli, at the time. I had WBC and WBA. And it was all about unifying the belts. It was a big fight. Everybody wanted to see it. You know, rarely do you get two you know, legitimate world champions you know, from the same country willing to, to tussle with each other. Thank God, you know, Enzo Macronelli, you know, was a brave guy. He believed in himself. Frank Warren also wanted to put, the, put his fighter in, in, in the biggest possible fight. And we had a, we, it was a great fight, a great promotion. Um, 2008, O2 Arena. That was my first arena fight. All the rest were leisure centres <laughs> prior to that. So I remember walking out in, in South London, the O2 Arena, Greenwich, as the number one fighter on the planet, fighting the number two fighter, Enzo McInerney, who was a world champion, a long-reigning world champion. And I knew what was going to happen. I knew he was a, a handful. I knew I couldn't make any mistakes. I knew he had the, the punch power to cause me issues if he was to land. So the plan was, don't let, don't let him land his bingo left hook, because I've seen him take many people out prior to that. And people, people thought it was a 50-50 fight. You know, in my heart, I knew it wasn't. And you know, I, I was fortunately willing to, to prove that, you know, at, the, at the highest level. And uh, we went out there and I was able to get him out of there in, in two rounds. And um, after I proved my point at Cruiserweight, I wasted no time moving on to heavyweight. Um, Monty Two Guns Barrett was my first fight at heavyweight. Um, he was ranked number top, in the top 10 in the world, coming up a big win himself against um, a big six at seven tight field. Uh, at the time, a big, uh, big uh, 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 shock, shock, shock upset win he did the fight before mine. So it was a live heavyweight, and uh, we had he, he knocked me down in that fight as well. But I was on a mission. I wanted to be heavyweight champion. So one fight heavyweight. Then I went in there against the biggest heavyweight champion in history, Nikolai Vanek. You know, six, seven, seven foot, foot tall, two. David. Yeah, seven foot yeah. tall. And and yeah. I, I rewatched that fight the other night, and I've got to say, of all your fights. And I was there that night, and it was amazing. It was an amazing atmosphere. I personally believe, even though you're an amazing knockout artist, I've always seen you, you know this, I've called you a stud to your face when you were a fighter. That fight against Nikolai Valuev, and I watched the entire thing about four or five days ago because I knew you were coming on. Your precision and your patience in that fight, yeah. for me, has to make it one of your great performances. 
I had to do something that was very uncharacteristically uh, of me. I, I had to go out there and hold back. If I, his style was based on people being able to hit him because he was so big and so strong and so tough. He'd let you hit him. And whilst you're hitting him, he'd hit you back. So he wants you to have a, a straight-up tussle with you because he's so much bigger and heavier. He can take your punches and you can't take his. So I, did, I had to be really clean and concise with my attacks, I had to be the bull. and uh, yeah, He was 100 pounds heavier than you, wasn't he? 100 pounds heavier, so I couldn't get into any clinches. I couldn't tussle with him. I had to stay really clean, though, know, that, that bull and matador thing, where I had to just really just keep moving and sort of hypnotise the judges to let them believe I was in control. And it was a, you know, it was a risky strategy doing it in Germany. After all, if I'm landing you know, 15 punches and you're only landing three, it's a bit obvious mm. who won that round. You know, but if if I was throwing, if I landed a hundred and he landed ninety, yeah, it would probably go to the champion. It would probably go to him mm-hmm. as he was the reigning champion. So I had to I had to kind of steal the rounds in in a way which uh, left me with as much energy in the tank as possible. That left me, you know, unscathed. I didn't want to get into any clinches with him because he was just so much heavier. He would just sap my strength. He would throw me around. So I was I had to really, really, really myself and Adam Boot really work hard on the game plan, making sure that. You know, every time I punched, I was rolling. I was coming underneath because all it takes is one swipe from this guy, and you can feel it shoot. He shakes you to your boots. It was that big and that heavy. He would beat the Holyfield. He beat some beat some 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 big guys. You know, um, Jamal McLean. You know, he'd been through it. John Ruiz. So he'd beaten big people before. And but it was down to it was down to me to try and do something. Everyone else tried to. Everyone else tried to outbox him, but they got involved too much. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to get involved in a fight. I'm just going to keep it a clean boxing match and, and, and win seven of the 12 rounds to win on points. Unfortunately, two judges had me winning by wide margin, four or five rounds, and the other judge uh, had it a draw. One judge had it a draw, as a, even with that big last round of me. But I was just so happy with that victory when he said from London, England, the uh, the new heavyweight champion, David R. Was, that, was, that was, for me, the, the highlight of my, my boxing career because it's one that everybody remembers. Yeah. It was absolutely sensational, Dave. Absolutely sensational. I'll tell you what we're going to do and hopefully you'll agree to this, David. In about um, another three to four weeks, come back on because the career's not over. We'd sadly run out of time. So if you, if you could come back and talk about the rest of it, <laughs> that'd be amazing, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no doubt. <laughs> because there's so many oh. other fights and so many other things in your, uh, in your professional life that we could get stuck into. We had half hour to chat. We've, we've done, done it. 38 we've done minutes already. Hour, we've we've <laughs> done 38 oh, minutes. 15. No way. That's crazy. <laughs> I believe it. Time flies when you, but I'm talking, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, mate, listen. It's a wonderful place just to leave it. It's been far too long. Well, so enthused was our guest, David Hay, there. We only managed to get up to his WBA heavyweight title win that night in Nuremberg against Nikolai Valuev, a man a hundred pounds heavier than him. Don't forget, our regular podcast is also out on Monday. Look out for that as well, that highlights the show. But we'll pick up with part two with David in a couple of weeks' time. You're listening to the Fight Night podcast with me, Gareth A. Davis, and Adam Catterall. Don't 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.